there are four physical uh, characteristics or, or elements of a property that you want to pay attention to. And uh, anything that's over 20 years old, you want to be aware of the, the age of the roof, uh, the age of the heating and cooling system, the age of the plumbing, and uh, also the electric system. And uh, I think it, it makes sense if you think about it. If you've had a roof and it's been on for 30 years and the life expectancy is 25 years, you're probably due for a new roof. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Reid Goosens. This is Investing in the U.S. podcast. And on today's show, we are talking with Darren Gross, industry expert in insurances. And what are the top 10 pitfalls that all investors need to know when buying an investment property here in the United States? But first, you know the drill. We're going to get into some bit of housekeeping before we do dive into the show. Now, as you know, if you are new to that, if you don't know because you are new to this show, then I welcome you to the show. We are a podcast geared towards helping international investors and, in, and entrepreneurs break into the US market and start buying cash flowing real estate deals. Uh, if you're a returning listener, then I thank you for your loyalty and commitment. You already know that you're in the right place. Now, guys, for all those new listeners out there, if you do want to join the awesome community of you know people out there that we're just continuing to grow each and every week, I think I'm being listened to in over like 130 countries around the world, which is incredible. Um, the easiest way to do is hit the subscribe button wherever you podcast. Just hit that little subscribe button in each and every week. A new episode will be downloaded to your iPhone or your tablet or your, your, your MacBook. Wherever it might be that you podcast, I will be. We are on iTunes. We're on SoundCloud. We're on Stitcher. We're on, we're on um, Google Play. Just recently got onto Google Play. Pretty exciting to be on there. So if you are uh, interested in joining this community, the easiest way to do is just hit subscribe. And it just shows iTunes that we're continuing to grow this incredible Incredible community, thousands of listeners across the globe who want to buy US cash flowing real estate. Now, the other thing you can do if you do want to give back to this show, it's pretty simple, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, all you got to do is jump on iTunes and give the show a review, whatever you think it is worth. Uh, that also helps shows iTunes that we are creating an incredible community of international listeners wanting to you know, break into the US market. And I must add that if you're not an international listener and you're an American investor and you just you know wanted to come on over to the dark side here, <laughs> uh, but listen to my Australian accent, then all the information we provide on today on, on any of our shows are geared to both international investors, but also uh, American-based investors. We are not discriminatory here. We just want to, you know, have everyone as we can come in and listen to our show. But guys, if you do leave the show a five-star review or any review, in return, I'm going to give you my brand spanking new ebook, which is called The Art and Science of Raising Capital Like a Pro. Now, we all struggle with capital raising or capital in our businesses. This little ebook, it just hopefully will give you, change your mindset about how you have to go out there, uh, how you have to present yourself to investors, what you need to know and the, the, the four key principles uh, in, in, in achieving any success in real estate investing and launching your real estate investing career successfully. And the four P's are pretty simple, uh, particularly when it comes to raising capital. The first P is professionalism. I always talk that you have to be professional in anything you do. The second P is pitch. Pitching is like one of the hardest things around. Like when you first start investing in real estate and you first start raising, wanting to raise money from other people, you've got to have a solid pitch. The fourth pitch is practice. Practice makes perfect. 
And practice means getting in front of investors, getting in front of investors and showing them your pitch deck that you've created, showing them that you know that you are a key person of influence in your area of multifamily real estate or just in real estate investing in general. And the fourth P is patience. Guys, Rome wasn't built in a day. Raising capital is tough, but if you have the right mindset in terms of how long it's gonna take you to raise capital to get you to that next point in your career, you need patience. So those four Ps, guys, this little ebook, it's only six or seven pages long. It's more of a brochure, but it's again, it's a free little download if you leave the show a review. Um, and a bit of other housekeeping stuff before we dive into today's show is that in 2017, I've started my mentorship program. I've had some feedback from some of my listeners out there. They're wanting to take their investing career to the next level. They want that one-on-one coaching. So I provided it to them. I've created this three-month course, which is the A to Z of starting to find and you know buy multifamily real estate here in the United States. I walk you all through you know, from the very, very basics of becoming an expert in the lingo that you need to get familiarize yourself with to become an expert in understanding what you know that you know when you're talking to brokers or when you're talking to uh, investors like what does cash on cash return mean what does a cap rate mean what does IRR mean all those things are very very important when you want to be an expert in your field I then walk you into how to like tr- find the best markets to invest in here in the United States and I'll show you my secret tips in terms of how to invest all across the United States and it's been very successful in my business I also walk you through how to start finding cracking off-marking deals because let's face it guys uh multi-family is hot in this country right now everyone wants to get into it every man and his dog and you need some you know little techniques in your tool belts to 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 go out there and find off-market deals I also walk you through how to start hosting investing seminars for your friends and family to start educating them on what you're starting to do and raise capital to help you fund your first deal. And the last thing I help you all walk you through is the personal branding side of it. It's so important to have a great crack in personal brand. So guys, if you are interested in joining this incredible community um, of investors and entrepreneurs who want to take that next step. I'm only taking between 15 and 20 people this year in 2017. I really want it to be a small closed-knit group. It is a paid mentorship program, I will say that, but it is a group that I want to create to, to, to be actionable, accountable, and have people actually get, the done, get deals done because that is the purpose of this group. So guys, if you are interested in joining this incredible mastermind group of multi, multi-family mastermind by Reed Goosens, it's called then hit me up again at info, I-N-F-O, at rsmpropertygroup.com and put in the uh, subject line, uh, master, multifamily mastermind by Reed Goosens. And say you want some more information and I'm gonna flick you back the entire uh, program outline and what some of the steps and you know, uh, goals that I wanna achieve with this program. All right, guys, enough out of me. Let's get cracking in into today's show. So today on the show, the entrepreneur in the hottest seat in town is Darren Gross. Darren is a commercial property insurance broker, real estate investor, and a podcast host. His insurance practice focuses on working with real estate investors, lenders, and developers across multiple asset classes around the country. He and his wife, Anne, are active real estate investors, and Darren interviews real estate professionals on his weekly podcast show called Commercial Real Estate Pro Network, which is available on iTunes. I know Darren is also in the Portland area, which I was up there recently uh, around Thanksgiving, and I met him face-to-face, which is a great, great guy. But enough out of me. Let's get him out here. G'day, Darren. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? I'm doing well, Reed. Thanks for the introduction. My pleasure. My pleasure. How's uh, how's the weather up in Portland today? I know it was uh, pretty rainy over the last couple of weeks. 
Yeah, I, the, we we've had uh, probably about uh, ten years of winter uh, this winter, and <laughs> and uh, I was watching the forecast this morning, and they're they're talking about the possibility of another storm coming through. So uh, it's dry wow. this morning, but the uh, you know the uh, forecast calls for maybe another round of winter. So <laughs> we are looking forward to spring. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, we'll rug up, um, and while you do rug up, do you want to give uh, the listeners uh, or elaborate for the listeners a little bit more on your background and how you got involved in real estate investing and the insurance world? Because that's what we've got you on the show today is to talk about insurance and the pitfalls. Sure. No. And first, I got to say, rug up. I love that. Is that a, an Aussie term? <laughs> yeah, gr- it- rug, like rug up. You know, get, get you know, you better get outside and rug up. I mean, it's just, I don't know. It's uh, I, I come from. I grew up on a, a bit of a, a small hobby farm, and uh, we used to have horses. And and when when it got cold, you'd go chuck the rugs on the horses. So it'd be go rug the horses. So rug them up, if that makes sense. <laughs> it's it's an, again a Aussie lingo. <laughs> All right. No, I love it. I love it. Thanks for uh, thanks for teaching me a new new uh, Aussie term there. But uh, yeah, to, to answer your question. So, I've uh, been uh, been in insurance since uh, about 1990. Getting kind of kind of old, but uh, I started off. I, I was working for a national firm doing auto dealers, franchise auto dealers, Ford, Chevy, Toyota, that kind of thing. And uh, that was a good opportunity to learn about insurance. But then I met my wife, and uh, she wanted to live in Portland, and I was living down in Eugene, and and uh, followed an opportunity to uh, an independent agency up here, and. Uh, Basically, kind of, you know, started. I'd say hunting with a vacuum cleaner is the way I refer to it. You know, it's like <laughs> you're trying to survive. Right. And uh, so, whatever you can do, you you uh, you know, you write. And, and along the way, I actually had the opportunity to work with a couple of uh, investors. And uh, these guys were the they were buying things that were like you know trees were growing out of the the uh, chimney and and uh, they were on the railroad tracks and all this stuff. And I was like. It was back in the day of Polaroid cameras where you could, you know, you could try and point it at a certain angle and you could, the sun would block out the tree coming out of the chimney or something like that. And, and, uh, anyway, I got kind of uh, exposed to investing and got to know these guys and, and, uh, saw that they were making money on stuff that, you know, just absolute turds of, uh, properties and stuff. But, but they, you know, they kind of mentored me in a way that, uh, continued to teach me, um, you know, what, what investing was about how it worked, uh, you know, tenant paid down the mortgage, um, you know, you built equity, the market, uh, increased and, and, uh, cash flow and, and all these things. And, uh, so over time, actually one of them, I was saying to him, I said, I got to get into this, you know? And he says, <laughs> you want in, I'll sell you this one right here. And I was like, <laughs> kind of like, you know, it's like you're in that state of shock, like, Oh, now, now I've got to. And, uh, so anyway, I, I did. And it was the scariest thing I ever did. But, uh, you know, in, in seven months' time, uh, didn't know it, but I actually flipped my first property. And uh, I was hooked. And uh, that was uh, 20, 20 plus years ago. So, wow. wow. And, and, uh, so flipping back in those days, that would have been like something unheard. There's no HGTV. There was no flipping pros. There was none of that sort of stuff back no, in the No, and it, you know, it's funny is the, the early flippers, what they used to do is go actually stand at the courthouse steps and, uh, you know, bid on properties and buy them. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, it was actually, you know, there's a little network of people at the, on the courthouse steps and, and uh, clearly they were, they were plugged in something the rest of us didn't know about, but it's always been around as near as I can tell. Uh, it was just on a different scale and, and, um, uh, but the opportunity's always been there. And I think the other thing I learned too, from some of these 
early clients was that they were able to make money in you know whatever market. Uh, so if, if the market shifted, they were able to shift their, uh, plan or their tactics and continue making uh, money. And, uh, you know, like I said, the, the flipping, it's been going on forever and it'll probably continue, uh, forever as well. No, that's, that's, uh, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just thinking, so uh, that would have been back in the, what, the early nineties. Is that right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Early, early nineties. And, uh, you know, even, you know, some of their strategies was, you know, more about tax liens and, and other things like that. But, uh, but yeah, early nineties through, uh, through kind of like the dot com kind of thing right. through the early two thousands in and around the Portland Eugene area in, in, in Oregon. Yep. 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 They were doing, uh, um, you know, primarily, well, all of them were doing it here. Uh, they've since grown and, and are uh, doing it nationwide and stuff, but, um, yeah, they were able to, uh, you know, acquire and and then maybe you know sell on a lease purchase uh, contract or or um, you know just a whole variety of different uh, strategies that, that just opened my eyes to just what the possibilities are. And they were doing single family; uh, the, those were uh, primarily single family things. But still, as far as an opportunity to get in and and uh, recognize that you know I didn't have to come with you know all cash and didn't have to have. Uh, all of my down payment, there was creative financing. I mean, that was probably the biggest thing I learned about uh, working with these guys was the opportunity to um, get creative and uh, make it a win-win for everybody. No, that's 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 uh, that's exactly what real estate's all about. And I'm sure back in the day, those sort of techniques, you know, every man and their dog are, are sort of talking about, um, you know, educating people in different ways of making money in real estate. And I'm, I'm sure back in back in the mid '90s, I'm sure it would have been a lot less of it if that makes sense so um and tell me a little bit more about your podcast because that's so interesting and, and how did that evolve over the time and and what's the sort of focus of the podcast these days yeah you bet well so my two things and you you mentioned it in the introduction there is insurance and investing and uh insurance has been my i don't know it's been my career and it's what i do uh, most days uh which find me doing investing came about through the insurance and uh, one of the things I've I've recognized, and and uh, anybody that's ever bought insurance, it's not exactly something anybody wants wants to talk about. <laughs> uh, I mean, everybody can remember their first car, uh, and maybe that's the first time they had to buy insurance. And the insurance was the bummer part of that whole thing. You know, you can probably remember the color of the car and the the year and the make and the model and the horsepower and you know the stereo system and whatever else that came along with it that was that was something you wanted because it, the car was what you wanted. Uh, paying for gas and insurance were not not things you wanted. And uh, so, you know, I, I think that the same can be held true with, with insurance, um, especially when you're starting out and you're trying to, um, you know, make some income. You're not, the insurance seems like it, it's, it's, the unnecess- it's the necessary, um, you know, what do you, what's the, there's a phrase I'm trying to think of what yeah, it was. The necessary it, evil. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a grudge purchase. Right. You know, you're not. You're, it's not going to make your day. Begrudgingly. Uh, could, could, yeah, could save your day. Right. But it's it's not going to make your day uh, on the front end. Right. So, recognizing that, and uh, you know that the people do need it, and they 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 will talk to you about it. But it's not something that they're just. They don't wake up in the morning. Boy, I can't wait to see what my insurance policy says. <laughs> uh, I sure hope my insurance agent calls me today. Right. Uh, <laughs> Those aren't things that, that roll off one's uh, tongue or they're not top of mind. So what I recognized was that, uh, you know, a lot of insurance is about getting to know people. 
building trust, getting to know them, getting to know what they're all about, and getting to know, you know, what what they want. And uh, uh, along the way, if I can, and uh, in, in the podcast is this, is that if if I can provide them information that's useful to what they want to do, uh, and then also kind of seed that with some insurance talk, uh, let them know that I'm here and I'm available. Um, the goal is to be top of mind when they when they do have a need for insurance. And so so what I've tried to do, and I've been doing now for a little over a year now, is uh, do weekly interviews with uh, real estate professionals where we get into topics, I mean, wide-ranging uh, topics. Uh, we talked with you about the international investing or the in- international investor. And, uh, you know, we, we but t- whether it be tax-related, uh, legal-related, um, you know, property management, property management software, uh, you know, wh- whatever it is. And then just try and stay in front of the commercial uh, real estate investor and the professional. And then also let them know that, hey, when insurance is part of that, uh, here's some things about insurance. And uh, when you have a need, give me a call. Sure. Sure. Well, that's sort of that's a that's a great background on, on the why behind the podcast, and that sort of gives me a segue into my first real nuts and bolts question of today's show, which is all about understanding insurance. And as you said, you know, we don't all wake up thinking, you know, what I wish my insurance agents would call me today and tell me how much more I've got to pay in my premium. <laughs> but when the when you know when the chips do fall down and you have a car crash or you have something wrong go wrong with your property, you definitely want to have someone there to call to come and fix it, right? So. Let's start at the beginning. You know, what is insurance and why is it so important, particularly for real estate investors here in the United States or anywhere around the world, to have property insurance? Well, I mean, there's we could go on and on and on about that, but <laughs> I'll try and make it as simple as I can and keep the audience awake. All right. Sure, sure. So, uh, the in the simplest form, the insurance policy is a contract, and it's a contract between the company and the uh, insured or the policyholder. All right. And it's basically it's it's got uh, agreements, it's got conditions. Uh, and the the basics that I always try and remind people is that whether you're borrowing money, uh, whether you're leasing space or whether you're buying insurance, remember that the contract is written by the party that's offering the contract. And typically they 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 write them uh, in their favor, okay? And I'm not trying to say they don't provide you benefit, but if you're not aware of, uh, the limitations or the, the, uh, you know, where it's to their favor, uh, you're going to be sadly mistaken when, when it comes time to, uh, call the contract or enforce the contract. So, you know, just, just to frame it that way, I mean, you know, that, that every contract has its conditions. And, um, the other thing that I I just think it's important to kind of, you know, set here is that, you know, when, when you have, when you go buy a property, if you have all cash and you don't need a loan, that's probably the easiest time to get a loan, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, when, when they know that you don't, you don't You're need the desperate. money. They're, yeah. They're, they're happy to give it to you. But it, it, as you go down and you have not a, you know, two nickels to rub together and, and, uh, you know, you're just on the, you know, nothing makes sense. There's not too much interest in lending you money. Right. So, and I, I say that in a similar way in that, you know, in insurance property is, uh, you can you look at it in the same way in that, you know, if, if you're a, a REIT with an A property, a brand new high rise, uh, there's most companies would gladly insure a brand new property, right? It's got all the new current stuff. Most of my clients tend to be active investors. I mean, they're actually involved some way 
uh, in the property, whether they are you know hands-on or they they at least manage the asset, uh, working with their property manager. Um, but they're typically in, in, in investing in uh, B through D properties throughout the U.S. And my understanding, and, and uh, you let me know if you have a different understanding, but but typically once a property gets to be 20 years old, even if it's an A property, it it will move to either a, a B just based on age, or uh, it'll it'll um, I forget legacy property, but but still the age tends to be kind of a an observation point. And then as you get on through B's into C's, you start to have more deferred maintenance and D's uh, kind of more run down. Well, similar to that, I mean, insurance companies look at, they look at properties and they say, Hey, wait a minute, you know, what, what is the condition of the property? What's the likelihood of a claim? All right. And, and so when you're in that, you know, you're in a B, C or D uh, there's, there's certain things you need to pay attention to. And, uh, I'm kind of running down here on my, I started running out of track. You, you asked me what's the basics of insurance. <laughs> That's fun. This <laughs> you know, is great. But, but, but the, the point is that the insurance is a, is a contract and it's basically, you know, a, a bunch of people pay into, uh, a company, the company has reserves when one, when, you know, when one of the policyholders has a claim, uh, there's money to pay for that claim. And it works because not everybody has claims every day. Right. If, if everybody did have claims every day, it wouldn't work. <laughs> so just to recap, because I think you went through some pretty in- interesting stuff, which is also broke it down very, very well for the listeners, is that at the end of the day, it's a, it's, it's a contract between a service provider, i.e. the service that an insurance company provides is insurance, and us as the, you know, the policyholder, right? And it's about hedging their risks right hedging okay i'm going to look at this property it's it's a brand new property i'm going to be more forthcoming with good policies and good clauses than if it's a 20 or 30 year old property because there's the like you say the risk of a policy claim coming true is higher when the older the property is have i got that sort of correct in a nutshell exactly exactly got it got it got it so what are some of the nuances that listeners should be made aware of investors should be made aware of particularly if you are you know I invest in, you know, class C and class B properties, probably 20 to 25 years old. Uh, a lot of my listeners do. I know you do, Darren, as well. So what what are the type of nuances when you're going after those types of properties? There's not brand new construction. You don't have new piping. You don't have a new roof. You don't have new um, foundations that you need to be made aware of when talking to, your, to an insurance um, company or going shopping for insurance. Sure. And, and I think this is actually a good idea to even... Uh, be aware of, you know, if you're in the, in a, in the market to buy a property, uh, because clearly if you're aware of these, uh, things I'm going to uh, give you here, they could be, a um, you know, something to negotiate, uh, in the uh, purchase price. But, uh, there are four physical, uh, characteristics or, or elements of a property that you want to pay attention to. And, uh, anything that's over 20 years old, you want to be aware of the, the age of the roof, uh, the age of the uh, heating and cooling system, the age of the plumbing, and uh, also the electric system. And uh, I think it, it makes sense if you think about it. If you've had a roof and it's been on for 30 years and the life expectancy is 25 years, you're probably due for a new roof. Or you, if, you, if it's even if it's been you know, maintained immaculately, it, it's not full of life. It's going to need to be replaced, and you need to be aware of that. Uh, the same can be true with, with, uh, heating and cooling systems. I mean, it's, it's crazy to me that how much of the appliances today are built 
uh, with a planned obsolescence, but that's just the world we live in. You know, back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, uh, you know, you could find uh, furnaces. Now, they may not be the 95% efficiency, but they're still operating uh, as they were, you know, originally uh, built for. Um, but anyway, I, I think probably the the uh, the one that's probably uh, presented itself more recently, uh, more than I can remember, and, and also just, just something that I would encourage all your listeners to be aware of, is the electrical panels. There was a uh, there was a, a couple of years where there was a, a brand called as Federal Pacific, uh, the Stablock circuit breaker boxes, and if you if you open if you look in most circuit breakers they flip left to right or up to down, and you know you get your on position and your off position. If they get overloaded, they flip to the off and it's it's done. Uh, these ones were unique in that you pushed in on the the, um, the circuit breaker for the on, and they wouldn't necessarily spring out if uh, if they were overloaded. And so consequently, they, they, I mean, there's been numerous recalls and stuff, but actually I was just talking with a, um, uh, prospect back in the Midwest, um, a couple weeks ago and a property that they had made an offer on and were due to close on had these on it. And I said, look, I, I couldn't get them a quote with, I mean, I could get them a quote with, uh, a non-preferred company, but the property otherwise was deserving of a, of a, you know, a good rate. And, uh, so they were able to work that into their negotiation and uh, ultimately get that replaced before they they made the sale and save themselves you know on two ends one they saved themselves of having to do it and the cost and two they were able to to make certain they got much more affordable insurance so that's interesting that's 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 very very interesting how yeah. did, what's the type of and, and sorry to jump in there because it's I've got a million questions on that because a lot of people would be asking themselves like if you buy, just if say you're buying a single family or a duplex or it's an investment property What's it cost to replace a, a, a circuit breaker like that on um, on an existing property? Well, and I'm not an electrician, so I'd hate to overquote it. Let me give you an example. And I and I have a a property where we actually it was actually one that was on fuses, and and uh, fuses are similar in in a sense of uh, the concern with fuses is that if a um, and I'm not an electrician again. I want to specify that, but but let's just say that a circuit has like a five amp fuse, and it's the one everybody's plugging in their hair dryers and and my or you know ovens and also, um, and it's going to blow. And uh, so what happens is the concern is that the tenants will go in and they'll screw in a, a higher amperage fuse, and so you know, so my my point to this whole thing is that if you have outdated electrical systems, whether it be the fuses or the the stab lock, you know, should get them replaced. I had one where they had to go in and they, you know, demoed out the old box, get the permits, uh, put in the new uh, box. And it was like 3,500 bucks. And this is over 10 years ago. So, you know, I'm, I'm assuming you could probably apply a 50% increase to that. And you're probably, you know, 40, 4,500 bucks. Now, obviously, if you have a multifamily property and you have multiple boxes and you have, um, you know, your, your main service panel, uh, you could be talking substantially more, but um, in fact, actually, as a, just to give you another point of reference, I know we talked. My wife and I were looking at a property, and it was uh, down in Florida, and it had uh, some electrical issues. But the the we made some phone calls, and they were talking, you know, north of twenty five to thirty thousand dollars wow. plan on kind of a on a multi family. You know, so, yeah. How many units so, was that? That was only twelve. Wow. So, <laughs> so. You know, the, the point being is that when you're going to buy a property, if you don't know these things, you could be setting yourself up for um, some unexpected 
uh, cost. A rude shock. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I did interrupt you. We went down a rabbit hole on that. That, But back to the you, – you're talking about just – the four physical pro- characteristics of properties from an insurance point of view, and then you're saying plumbing, uh, HVAC, roofing, and um, electrical. So, so what are the, some other nuances that a policyholder should be made aware of or when you're going shopping? Well, and, and these are more of like some concerns and from an underwriter standpoint. And again, if you if you think of it like you know the lender, uh, again looking at you is as whether or not you need money or not. Uh, the underwriter for the insurance company is looking at is are we looking at a claim or not? And so they're they're trying to go down the list of how can we prevent buying a claim, right? And uh, so w- some other things too. I know a lot of times people are buying value add opportunities. And uh, so let's say you've got a property that's that's vacant or it's you know largely vacant. Most underwriters will say, hey, if it's more than thirty percent vacant, uh, we don't want it. Okay. The policy, what's another, here's the, the offset on that. And what's, this is what's kind of always uh, odd is the policy has the provision, uh, so that if the, the building's at least 31% occupied, uh, that you don't come into the vacancy clauses. I mean, there's some, uh, clauses in the policy that gear down on your insurance, uh, coverage. So if you, if you have a, a vacant property, uh, things like vandalism or frozen pipes, uh, typically aren't going to get paid for. So, you know, so if you, if you are buying something value add that's that's vacant, just know that you're going to have to have some sort of a uh, a good plan that shows, you know, how you're going to get it occupied and how you're going to get it up to stuff. And uh, uh, if you're able to do that, sometimes there are underwriters that will go, okay, this makes sense, we can go there. But if not, you just may have to weather the the uh, lease up. Uh, with a little higher costly insurance until you you get leased up and then be able to get in something uh, more attractive. Um, so and that was thirty. You said thirty percent occupancy or seventy percent occupancy. Well, there, two things. So remember, on the front end, you're talking the un, the underwriter. The underwriter's looking at what do you have, and they're saying, look, if it's more than thirty percent vacant, uh, we don't we don't want it uh, from a preferred from a, a preferred standpoint. Okay, and I'm. Preferred's obviously the the company that you would rather, and it's not a company, but it's a tier of company that you'd rather be with because they're going to give you the better rates. But if if the property if it's 50% vacant, uh, you're probably going to be you know with more of a substandard uh, carrier, and they're going to charge you more. But even on that preferred company policy, let's just say you you buy one, it's full, right? You buy a, a property, it's 95% full. You get in with a preferred carrier. Something changes in the marketplace. All of a sudden, you've got vacancies. You're down to 50%. The policy will still provide you coverage. It won't kick in any kind of those uh, restrictions of coverage until you go below 31% occupied. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you have. So the front end is kind of the gatekeeper. He's the underwriter, even though the policy says, ah, we're good up to at least as long as you're 31% or more, uh, we won't restrict coverage. Okay, interesting, interesting. And so what are the other types of um, best practices insurance uh, when, when, when we're going out shopping for insurance? Because I'm sure you've seen some pretty uh, classic mistakes, uh, not, not only in the, the electrical panels and stuff like that, but also when a policyholder gets the wrong information or is misled or doesn't understand the policy in and out and they come to make a claim and they find out they're a rude awakening you know something that comes to mind is like flooding like i know we're back in australia 
they a lot of homeowners when a, a big flood came through back in 2011 the flooding came up through this backed up stormwater and not actually from the quote unquote sky and so a lot of homeowners were like we're, we're not going to cover you or not a lot of insurance policies were like we're not going to cover you because of the fact that it didn't come from the quote unquote sky and it backed up from the stormwater so how does that relate and have you ever seen something like that where it's just been a, a big cluster and people can't get you know insurance companies to pay well sadly uh like i said in the beginning the, you know remember the policies are written by the company and uh so even though you think you've got insurance you may be surprised to learn what you are and you are not insured for but uh you know as far as uh, uh i guess i'd say standard exclusions um you know on a property policy uh flood and uh, earth movement which includes earthquakes landslides etc uh, are excluded. They're they're separate uh, policies. Okay, and floods specifically. This is something uh, your listeners might uh, well they should at least be aware of before they make a purchase. Is that there's been an there's been a movement underfoot here for probably the last three or four years to rewrite the flood maps. And uh, you know as uh, more and more information becomes available, uh, there's more that we know than we did know uh, before. And uh, so what's happening, and I've seen it happen several times here in the last couple of years, is that a property that previously was not considered to be in a floodplain is all of a sudden now realized that, yeah, part of the, the property is in the floodplain. It doesn't mean that the building is in the floodplain, but the lot. Okay, so if you have a, a lot and you've got a corner that's got a creek that runs by it, and that, that corner is considered in the floodplain, you may have to go through some additional efforts to prove that you're not in the floodplain or you'll, or you'll be required to buy flood insurance. Um, but clearly flood and earthquake are, are two things, especially here on the West Coast, that people are, are uh, more aware of and more concerned with. So yeah, I was gonna just jump in because I actually just had a property in upstate New York, uh, old cast iron pipe, uh, it cracked and it, um, it sewage went everywhere from the upstairs apartment into the downstairs apartment. Oh, um, and yeah. uh, the insurance policy was like, no, that, that's, that's maintenance and repairs. It's got nothing to do with us. Uh, again, something that I wasn't aware of. So how do that, when you're buying those old properties, what are the sort of ways in which you can, you know, make sure that you do have the right coverage coupled in the fact that you also make sure you, you maybe, I don't know, you're snaking the lines or doing, or you're, as you said, replacing fuse boxes to, to avoid those issues in the future, which can come and bite you in the butt. Because this particular property in upstate New York, it's, it was a small one, one of my first ones I've ever purchased. Uh, it only makes, you know, six or $7,000 a year in cash flow, but that was completely eaten up with this one busted pipe, you know, and drywall was screwed and cabinets were screwed and blah, blah, blah. So any advice? Well, and, and you, you bring up a good good point. Is the the property an older property? It is an it, it was an older property. Yes, I, I, I've subsequently sold it. <laughs> okay, well, and again, kind of to the the, the um, you know initial uh, kind of premise that a, a newer property you're going to be able to get more companies willing to give you a better price and better coverage. Okay, as you get into older properties and you get into you know, whether they're well-maintained or not, companies are aware of the things that, that are likely to happen. And uh, so they're going to uh, start to restrict some of those coverages that might might have been available. But clearly backup of sewer and drains, and uh, I'd be curious to know more about how they, you know, excluded your, your uh, uh, claim there because typically 
from a from a water. I mean, a pipe in the wall that burst. You know, whether you have a, a freezing event or somebody, uh, you know, somebody hits a a nail through the sheetrock into the pipe or or um, just a oh, I don't know. I've I've, I've had them. Yeah, accident. And, and that's, that's the other thing. Is, is insurance is sudden and accidental kind of thing. Uh, wear out and maintenance is is something that they normal wear and tear. You know, something they wouldn't expect. Uh, so you, it'd be, I'd be interested to hear a little bit more on how they uh, came to the conclusion. But backup of sewers and drains is not an automatic uh, coverage. It's something you want to be aware of. And and I'm sure as you experienced, uh, sewage is not uh, nothing clean. It's very messy. It's you know, and it's it costs a lot to have it cleaned up. And once it gets into the carpet or the or the drywall or whatever, that's all got to be removed and and uh, replaced. And it's it's costly. One of the one of the largest claims I ever had was a water uh, claim, and it was a fire suppression system that that uh, malfunctioned and filled up a uh, you know reservoir over overflowed and and flooded a place. And it's just you know it, it it does happen. But that was covered. It was it was uh, water, and uh, it's probably something to do with the fact it was sewage and it was. I mean, I mean, if they, I, I, I would love to see the denial on that because I'd be kind of curious <laughs> to go look in the policy you had and take a look at that. Yes, uh, yes, I would so. too. <laughs> but um, yeah. no, it's, I think you bring up some great points, and I think this, the, the takeaway pieces of advice there is to be aware that there's some additionally insured stuff that, um, if you are an investor out there looking to buy a property, that don't just think that it's all covered. Ask the questions, right? That's that's, that's probably the, what it comes down to, right, Darren? Is ask specific questions. Is my flood insurance? Am I covered for flooding? Am I covered if a pipe bursts? Am I covered for earth movement? Stuff like that. Backups of sewage and drains. You know, in, in a big rainfall event. I know just down in Long Beach recently, there's a huge backup of floods. Um, Sandy, um, Hurricane Sandy, back in 2011 or 12. Again, a lot of people on the on Long Island had issues with backing up of of, of sewage and drains, and they weren't covered into their basements because it came from the ground and not from the sky um yeah just just be aware right right darren yeah well and and typically just to give you some some uh, i guess a reference point on flood typically flood is something where it, it a body of water escapes its natural boundaries boundaries so whether it's a creek or a lake or a river um if it's within the, the the building and it comes up i mean the 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 plumbing goes in reverse uh, that's kind of a backup of sewer or drain, and again, it's not an automatic on your policy. But I would, I would uh, think on a newer property, uh, you know, and if you're asking the questions, you should be able to get that. Right. And what about like aging infrastructure on on existing? So in the pro- uh, property I saw a couple of weeks ago, or the other week, the city's infrastructure was old, and it actually it was really their backup and their issue, and just that happened the property needed to be was was close to that the the, the backup which then went into their property. So it was sort of like, well, this was a new property, it, it, but when it, um, as soon as all the piping went off the property, you know, into public right away, it was old infrastructure. Um, again, how do you, how does that play into it? You know, all that sort of stuff when you're making a claim. Well, I'm going to say this. I think you're best to look out for your own interest because I've heard it go both ways. I mean, sometimes I've heard uh, municipalities go, oh, that's our bad. Yep, it hit you, 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 and you. Uh, we'll take care of that. Uh, but I would say that's, that's the exception. I would, <laughs> Very much I would so. <laughs> think that they would say, yeah, we don't know what you're talking about. You know, uh, didn't, you know, must be something on your end. And, 
so I, I would say that, you know, make certain you get something and, um, you know, as far as that goes, I would just say, take care of your, take care of your own business there and make certain you get some coverage for yourself okay. on the back of sewer and drains. Just to, to end off the show, Darren, is what advice can you provide to international investors or people who are looking to, you know, we've sort of pretty much covered a lot here today, but what specific advice or takeaway piece of advice that you would give to international investors or people buying out of state here in, in the United States, buying older properties? What are the sort of the checklist for them when they're going to their insurance policy provider? Sure. Well, I, th- I think the first thing that I would encourage everybody to to uh, do is to to work with a somebody that, that's more focused on property. Um, you know, we didn't talk about it, but there's there's different distribution channels for insurance. There's I'm an independent agent uh, as opposed to uh, direct writers. Um, and I think what what I found, and I don't want to make a blanket statement, but it, I think it it holds true if you uh, go out and take a look. I, I think it's there's there's several different numbers that are published, but somewhere around 80% of all business insurance is written through independent agents. And the the difference is is that sometimes when you're dealing with more of a direct writer, uh, some of them, I'd say majority of them, are are proficient in home and auto uh, insurance, and are probably more than capable of writing uh, an additional single family or two, um, you know, if you're buying single families. But if you get into some more complicated, some more uh, older properties, and I can give you just a personal experience. The property we just bought is a 12plex down in Florida. I asked the uh, real estate broker, you know, who they would recommend for insurance. And and uh, knowing that I was going to quote it myself to see what, you know, but I, I said, well, shoot, if they know some sort of a local secret, I don't want to be stupid. All you know, right. So, but, but what was, what was shocking to me is that the, the person was a, a direct writer, worked for one of the, you know, kind of the Allstate State Farm uh, farmers uh, kind of thing. And he was actually going to the same uh, outfit that I was going to as a, as a wholesaler. And, uh, but he didn't, one, he didn't give me a, a uh, uh, he, he did not establish a, a value. He didn't do a replacement cost estimate. He just took the purchase price, uh, subtracted out what he thought the land was worth and went off that. Well, that, you know, a market value versus a replacement cost are two different things. And the, the insurance policy is, is geared to the replacement cost. So if you're not starting from, uh, you know, a solid value, you're going to be disappointed if you have a claim for the uh, penalties that come into play. And uh, the other thing that was just kind of really disappointing was uh, he didn't account for the loss of rents. Okay. And, uh, you know, to his defense, uh, I'm assuming that most of the things that he does uh, with, um, you know, whether it be home and auto or even if he's able to write a, you know, a small commercial policies through his, his uh, company, they probably build in uh, loss of rents automatically. Well, as you, as you go down the list, uh, when you move further away from an A property to a B, C, or D, uh, the policy actually has to be built. And if you don't add in the coverages, you could be, you know, you could be in a world of hurt when you have a claim. So, so my point, my, I guess my first thing I would say is make sure you're working with somebody uh, that's proficient in insuring, you know, real estate and specifically from an investor standpoint. And, uh, you know, I think it's good to, uh, compare coverages occasionally, you know, it's nothing like we said, uh, nobody gets excited about doing it, but I think that you're, I think that you're, you could be surprised because what if, uh, inflation's really grabbed hold and, and the cost of materials and, 
and labor has skyrocketed and you've got a policy that's, you know, outdated based on the values. Um, you know, so that's, that's certainly something I'd recommend. I'm trying to think. And I, I guess just one more thing to that, uh, notion about working with, a with somebody that, um, you know, is proficient in, in investing. They, there are a bunch of programs out there. Not everybody has access to all of them. And so, you know, it's important to know you're working with somebody that knows what they're doing. Hmm. I think that's that's important for anything, particularly if you're investing in the United States or across the, the country or internationally is work with people who know your ins and outs, right? It's this sort of work with lawyers who know real estate investing. Don't work with lawyers who don't know real estate investing. Work with insurance brokers who know real estate investing. And I think you brought up some really good topics to, 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 to understand. I think rental loss is a huge one. Like, it's something to ask your insurance broker. What happens in when if my, you know, again, like my downstairs uh, a tenant had to be moved out, what happens with the rental loss there? Who's covering um, any sort of pa- uh, payments of hotels if they've got to move into a hotel? Stuff like that is just questions you have to ask, particularly when you're in buying older properties. But I think you really drove home the fact that understanding that it's they are older properties, they are they do need or require um, in, in, the, in the insurer's eyes, a little bit more risk because uh, the the risk of, of a claim coming through because of the older components involved in in a particular property. I think I think I've got that right, uh, Darren. No, you're spot on. Perfect, man. Really. Well, Darren, I know where are people can or sorry, where can people reach you to continue the conversation? Because I'm sure there's going to be a lot more questions out there for people uh, coming in and wanting to say, look, I want to get uh, help, Darren, or, or use Darren to help me get my best insurance policy and not pay through the nose. <laughs> No, I appreciate that. Uh, probably the the easiest way I've got my um, uh, website. It's uh, Commercial Real Estate Pro Network dot uh, com. It's kind of a mouthful, but uh, from there, you, there's a um, uh, contact a button, and it's just it's my name, Darren D A R R I N at uh, the letter J Darren Gross dot com. Perfect. Well, we're going to have all those show notes up on the website when the show is released. Um, so if you do have any questions for Darren, please I do not hesitate to reach out. I'm sure Darren would only be too forthcoming with uh, even inquiries, right, if we've got properties. And, and just to be clear, you do stuff around the United States. It's not just Oregon, right? Oh, yeah. No, I've got clients uh, all over the U.S. And both residential and commercial? Yeah, the typically just as a um, kind of a reference point, I always encourage people if they're if they're buying their first single family rental in their neighborhood, uh, and they already have a home and auto uh, policy with an agent, um, you know, it, it's probably going to be the easiest, best fit to contact your current agent uh, and see if they can help. But I mean, clearly, uh, if you have any questions, give me a call. I'm happy to do what I can to help. Uh, but I, typically as people get kind of north of four units, kind of that, you know, residential commercial line where there's, it's actually, they've got some momentum and they've got, uh, things get a little more complicated, the more numbers you get. I mean, if you've ever looked at insurance billing, it's not exactly the most, uh, uh, descriptive of what you've got. And if every day you're going to the mailbox and you get another envelope and you can't tell what property it's for, you know, or what it's covering, that's when we can usually step in and, and really start to help people. Uh, gain some efficiencies. Okay, awesome. Well, Darren, I thank you so much for dropping in and chatting with us today, mate. Have a great rest of your week and we'll catch up soon. Hey, I appreciate it, Reed. Talk to you soon. Thank you, mate.
Well, there you have it, another cracking episode filled with absolutely some awesome actionable steps and advice about buying insurance for your real estate properties here in the United States and really anywhere across the world. Asking those questions, um, just a bit of a recap, we said, look at the age of the property. You wanna look at, be looking at the major four characteristics, roofing, HVAC, electrical, plumbing. Now, each region is gonna be different, like the north part of the United States, which has um, colder climates compared to the southern part, which has warmer climates. Um, but also looking and asking the right questions about rental loss, uh, about flooding, about sewer backup, those sort of issues to be made aware of and, and be really switched on with your um, provider because you know sometimes providers don't always know the nuances of running real estate business. So really work with someone like Darren, he's been in the industry for 20 odd, odd years um, or more, uh, 30 odd years I think he even said, uh, and, and just work with the right type of people. Darren is definitely a guy to have on your team that is, he's just, he, he, he's been helping me recently, which has been so, it's just the world between night and day when you're working with someone who knows and understands real estate investing. And the fact that he is a real estate investor, it's just, I can't I can't say anymore, more enough about him. All right, guys, as I said, check out all the show notes from today's show. We'll be up on my website at rsnpropertygroup.com slash podcast. Um, whilst you're there, leave the show a review, comment, you know, whatever you need to do. You can also download my new ebook, which is the, uh, the Art and Science of Raising Capital Like a Pro, the 4P Rule. Guys, thanks again for taking some time out of your day to tune in and continue to grow your real estate investing knowledge. If you are ever coming through the LA area, please hit me up at read at rsnpropertygroup.com and we'll meet up for coffee or drink or lunch, whatever it might be. I love meeting up and talking shop. All right, guys, we're going to do it all again next week. So take care, be safe, and remember, happy investing.